My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. I'd like to say good morning to those of you joining us in Boca Raton. It's always good to have you uh, tuning in with us. Those of you in Skagit, glad that you're with us. And those watching online with the live stream right now, uh, thanks for being here as we start a new ser uh, series. And those of you here in Bellingham, it is good to have you here with us. I want you to take just a one second or two and just look at the person sitting next to you. Either side, don't say anything to them, don't touch them, don't ask them for anything, don't uh, ask them on a date or anything. Just look at them. Now, that person that's sitting next to you is different from you. Uh, might be different in a lot of different ways. Might be a different age, different genetic makeup, different gender. Might be different political stance. Might have different beliefs. They might be different in their level of education or their social economic status. Different in their disposition. Different in their gifting. A lot of differences with that person that you're sitting next to. And I don't know a lot about them, but this I do know about the person sitting next to you on either side. And I know about you as well. This I know about us is that one thing we all have in common is that we all hope. We, we have hopes for today, we have hopes for the future, we have hopes for our country, we have hopes for our career, we have hope for our children. Some of you have hopes that this sermon won't go long. We all have hopes, and, and that's a false hope, but it's a hope nonetheless. <laughs> we all have hopes that we hold on to, and, and human beings are just created to be incessant hopers. That's just like ingrained into the very core of the fabric of our being. And when it comes to hopes, there's all kinds of things we'll do as hopers. I mean, we are finger-crossing, four-leaf clover-picking, rabbit-foot-holding, you know, wishbone-pulling hopers. We just hope. We hope, and we will, we will make a wish on a star. We will knock on wood. We'll buy lottery tickets. We hope all the time. We all have hopes. We have dreams. We set goals. We make wishes. We say prayers. We are hopers. This I also know about every single one of us, is that somewhere in life, there have been times when that which we hoped for didn't pan out the way that we hoped it would. That maybe the dream didn't come true. The wish wasn't granted. The goal wasn't reached. The prayer wasn't answered. And it's in times like that that there's this little hole that's sprung and this little leak that happens in this hope bucket in our soul. And it just drains a little bit of hope out of our life. Now, we can refill that. We can stop that. But it just takes the hope down a little bit. And it's not just those unmet goals or wishes, but even in life. I mean, I think you talk about something that drains our hope bucket. 
Watch the news. It's like a spigot on the bottom of our hope bucket that's just opened wide up. It's just kind of life, life in general. I mean, you, you look at the world around and you hear about another tsunami, another earthquake, another hurricane, another flood, another fire, and just, it's just natural disasters, and you kind of feel a little hopeless on this planet. Or you look at the global situation. You look at North Korea and what's happening there and this possible threat of nuclear you know, endangerment, or you think about ISIS where they just strike wherever they want. You, you look in our nation with the division, the, the, the political, the racial, the ethnic, uh, all this division right now, and it feels hopeless. But those kind of hopes you can kind of, you can kind of put in a different category. It becomes more acute when it's personal, though, when there's something that's happened to us, when whatever dream it is we were holding on to for, for the future or for our careers or for our marriage, when that dream goes away and it dies, when the report from the doctor is, is not positive, when the prognosis is terminal, and there's some hope that's just drained away. Maybe when there's disappointment in relationships, when that relationship that you were hoping for, maybe it never happened, you never did get married. Or maybe you did get married, but the marriage wasn't what you were hoping, and it, it just fell short. Maybe there's disappointment because your parents weren't the mom or dad that you needed them to be. Maybe it's disappointment in how your children have made choices. And it just feels kind of hopeless a little bit. Or maybe it's just in life. Maybe you're gripped with anxiety and fear and questions and doubts. And, and it just leaves you, when you talk about the future, just kind of this, this hopelessness. Or, or maybe it's even because of your own choices, your own failures, your own sin, and you live with your own guilt, your own regret, your own shame. And right now, some of you are saying... I didn't feel hopeless until I went to church today. <laughs> Pastor Bob, you're the spigot on my hope bucket. You drained it. I'm in a vortex of hopelessness. I'm glad I came to church today. I got no more hope. I thought I was doing good. But it's just life. And it has a way of, of sucking the hope out of us. Some of you are familiar with Job. This man who went through just unimaginable loss and pain and difficulty. I mean, physically, with his career, materially, in his relationship with his kids and even his wife, one thing after another. And maybe you cannot identify with the, the circumstances of his life, but the, the words of his life, when he says in Job, he says, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? And I believe one of the greatest needs in our world today one of the greatest needs in this room today, one of the greatest needs maybe in your life today, is for there to be some sustaining, solid hope in your life. Because life has a way of sucking hope out. And we need to refill that bucket. We need to have a hope that we can, we can, we can count on, we can build our lives on, we can trust in. See, it's not just life either. There are these Eeyore voices that, that kind of suck hope as well. People that just kind of give you the bad news. There's a, a man named uh, Bob Orban. He said this, hope is that brief golden moment between when you come up with a solution and when you realize it won't work. I mean, it's just a fleeting moment. Enjoy it while it's there because it's like the morning mist and phew, it's gone. Sorry about that spit right there. 
That, was, that just kind of came flying out. How about this one? H.L. Mencken said, hope is a pathological belief in the occurrence of the impossible. He says, well, why would you even hope? And maybe the most desperate one is a, a, a man who uh, was an author and, and, and actually wrote a lot about hope. But later in life, Albert Camus said this, stop hoping. It hurts too much. Think clearly and stop hoping. What is the message? Don't get your hopes up. Because if you have hope, you will be disappointed. And that's this message that we hear. But there's another voice with a different message that's exactly the opposite. It's the voice of our God, and the message is given over and over through Scripture, and the message is not, stop hoping. The message is, get your hopes up. It's not hopeless. There is hope. The Apostle Paul, who in some ways similar to Job, could have been one of the most hopeless men who ever lived. I mean, the amount, and you can read this in Scripture, the amount of persecution, abandonment, loss, sorrow, difficulties, disappointments that he faced throughout life and ministry and friendships, it was just, this, the list just goes on. But he never became hopeless. In fact, just the opposite. He was filled with hope. And when he writes this letter, he writes a letter to these, these followers of Christ in Rome. And we spent the entire summer looking at the book of Romans. And as we got to the end of, of Romans in Romans 15, there were a couple verses that I intentionally did not even address, skipped over them because I knew where we were going this fall. And in, in this book, at the end of the book, he says this to these church, these people in Rome, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of all of his circumstances, in the midst of all the difficulties, and knowing that the people in Rome were going to face some incredible difficulties under Nero and other things, he says, there is a God, and this God is a God of hope. And this God of hope doesn't drain your hope bucket. He fills you, he fills you with joy, even in the midst of sorrow, while that seems to be diametrically opposed, and we'll look at it later in this series, we can have joy even in the midst of sorrow. He fills you with peace, even in the midst of chaos. And this God fills you, and there's a way that you can live in relationship with this God of hope that you will actually overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've got to tell you, this whole concept of overflowing with hope, that is my prayer for us. That is my desire in this series. That's what I long for. If you allow me to, that's what I'm hoping for, for us. And so for the next six weeks, we're just going to become students of this thing called hope. We're going to be students of hope in the Word of, of God, in the Scripture. And we're going to see how is it that we can be people who are overflowing with hope because apparently it is possible, and I think it should be, that we ought to be the most hopeful people on the face of the planet. We ought to have more hope than anyone. And so I want us to grow in our understanding of hope and what biblical hope is. I don't want us to just grow in our understanding here. I want us to grow in our capacity to hope. I want our hope quotient to go up. And my desire, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's Word, that this God of hope would do something in our lives that we would begin to live in a manner for the rest of our lives that we would overflow with hope. 
And God's Word spends a lot of time talking about hope. Now, here's the one uh, unfortunate thing, is that the word hope in our English language, I mean, translated hope, we use that all the time, the word hope in our English language suggests uncertainty. When you think about when you use the word hope, there's always this, I'm not sure, maybe, you know, well, what do you want to do with that degree? Well, I'm hoping to get a job. There's uncertainty, but it's my hope. Well, I hope for, and fill in the blank, there's uncertainty, but this is what I desire. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. You know, I, I hope this happens, or will this fix the problem? Well, that's the hope, not sure. Do you know what's going on? Well, I hope that this is the situation. And there's all this uncertainty, which is, which is the way we interpret it in the English language. But that's not what biblical hope is. Again, biblical hope is a pendulum swing on the other end in a verse that's been taken way out of context and I think manipulated to say things it didn't mean to say. In Hebrews 11 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And we may come back and address this later in the series. But it's not this uncertainty. It's not this, well, maybe, just maybe this might happen. It's a certainty. Timothy Keller, um, uh, to whom I'm uh, in this series indebted to a great deal of his, of his uh, writings and teachings, Timothy Keller basically talked about biblical hope this way. He's, he defines it, a life-shaping certainty of a believed-in future. A life-shaping certainty of a believed-in future. That there's something that hasn't happened yet, but it will. And because that's going to happen, because that's the reality, because that's the truth, it shapes how I live my life now. It shapes how I think, how I operate, my priorities, my perspective because of that. What this is not is just digging down and having wishful thinking. And this isn't some just trying to try convince yourself and just name it and claim it and believe it's going to believe hard enough. This isn't Pollyanna positive thinking. I'm all about a positive attitude, but this is deeper than that. This isn't some kind of a, a naive optimism. There's something grounded much deeper in biblical hope that we're going to discover that makes all the difference. In Proverbs chapter 23, it says, surely there is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. And that's what we're going to look at. That's what I long for. So today, as we start this, today's sermon really is foundational to the rest of the series. And when I say foundation, foundational, it doesn't mean that it's less important. In fact, it may be maybe the most important of the series because it's on this truth that we're going to look at today that everything else is built. And I believe that what, what we're going to discover today about biblical hope is really the key that unlocks our proper understanding of what scripture says about hope in our life so that we can live a life that is overflowing with hope. Very important for us today to, to understand this distinction that for, on the surface may seem like it's minor, but it changes everything. You ready? I hope so. All right, here we go. So when we talk about hope in our lives, besides usually we think uncertainty, most often, we think it in the realm of hoping for. We hope for, and usually when we hope for, we hope for some thing. This hoping for is all based on an outcome. I'm hoping that this thing occurs. I hope I get this job. I hope I can get this house. I hope I get this girl. 
Or I hope I get this girl and she gets that job and we get that house. But it's this hope for something, some outcome, something that, that I will get. And, and maybe it's even deeper than that. I mean, think about it, even, even just, I mean, valid, deep life and death. I, I hope it's not cancer. It's this outcome. It's something there. I hope that my kids make it into that school or get that program or get that job that's out there. It's this outcome that we reach for. And while that's all fine, if that's where your idea of hope stops, you're right on the surface. You've never gone deep enough. John Ortberg in his book, uh, Faith and Doubt, said this. One day, and this is the truth, everything we hope for will eventually disappoint us. Every circumstance, every situation that we hope for is going to wear out, give out, fall apart, melt down, go away. When that happens, the question then is about your deeper hope, your foundational hope, your fallback hope, when all your other hopes are disappointed. So what you hope for, this outcome, is fine, and it's good, and it's a part of life. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying we've got to go deeper than that to be able to live a life that is overflowing with hope. And that's where we see this distinction. It's not just hoping for but hoping in. What is it that we're hoping in? And hoping in and hoping for are two completely different things. One is with an outcome. The other has to do with the source. The source of what is it that we are hoping in? What is the source of our hope? Is it sure enough? Is it secure enough? Is it, is it true enough? Can, can it sustain? Will it last? What about in the midst of difficulties? Will that hope still be enough? Will it be secure for you? 400 years before Jesus was born, there was a Greek philosopher, uh, you've all heard of him, named Socrates. And Socrates made this statement, 400 BC. He said, to ground your hope on a false supposition is like trusting to a weak anchor. He says, listen, if what you're building all your hopes on is not solid enough, it's like you're going to be tossed around, you're going to be adrift, you're going to be out of control. And maybe it would be a good exercise for you, and, and don't ever give yourself the Sunday school answer, but to really ask yourself, what is the source of my hope? What am I truly hoping in in my life? Don't just say, Jesus, don't do that. Stop and really think of the ways that I think, the way it, it changes my, my decisions in my life. Is it solid enough? Is it secure enough? Sometimes you might, if you're honest, you might say, honestly, I hope in myself. I hope in my own abilities, in my intellect, in my education, in my, my business prowess. I hope in my youthful good looks, my strength. Not me, of course, but others of you might think that. You say, honestly, I, I'm a do-it-yourself. I'm a, I'm a strong leader. I'm a, you know, I'm a go-get-em woman. I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I, I really, my hope is in, in my, me and my ability to work things. I can get problems solved. I can do this. I'm young enough, I'm strong enough, I'm good-looking enough, and doggone it, people like me. Whatever it might be. And here's the truth of what Ortberg says. Is that if your hope is in yourself and your looks and your abilities, someday that's going to wrinkle and sag and fade and fail. Eventually. Whatever it is you're hoping in. And same so say, okay, well, yeah, I don't, it, my, yeah, that's a little arrogant. My hope is in humanity. You know, I, I've got to believe that humanity is going to is going to learn from our past and our mistakes. We're going to just continue to get better. And I, Listen, if your hope is in humanity, I just want to tell you, every time I enter into a roundabout, 
my hope in humanity is diminished. I mean, every single time, and it's clearly marked, and it's not that difficult. My hope, I mean, it's like my confidence in the competence of humanity diminished each time. My hope is not in humanity. Maybe you say, well, my, my hope is, is in our political world. If we can get this candidate in, if this party can do this, we can pass this bill, if we can get this law. My hope is in our military. If we can do this, then we've we got security there. My hope is in the economy, and I mean, it's strong. I mean, Paul one time said, tell those who are wealthy in this present age, which on global standards, that's all of us. Tell those who are wealthy in this, in this, in this age not to put their hope in wealth because it is too uncertain. Maybe your hope is in the education, and we're growing in that, in technology, in science, in medicine, all of those things. What is the source of your hope in life? Now, all throughout Scripture, it points to a source. It points to a source, one source of hope. And the reason it keeps pointing to this is not because that source is able to give us all the things we hope for, because that source is the one that we hope in. It's the one we hope in. You know, what's interesting to me is we don't know, and I, when I say we, I'm talking about scholars and commentaries and such, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I wonder, and I kind of, I kind of believe that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was probably schooled and educated not only in Scripture, the Old Testament, but maybe in the literature of the world, and maybe even in Greek philosophy. And it's possible, since Socrates said this 400 years before Christ, that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was actually very aware of this quote. Because look at the similarities. When the writer of Hebrews is talking about this source of hope and God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and in Hebrews chapter 6 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That we have one we can anchor our lives to. We have someone that we can hope in so that when the winds blow and the waves rise and the tide comes up and the currents are, and the storms go through life, that we aren't going to drift, that we're not going to go into the rocks of destruction, that we're going to stand firm and secure. We have that hope. And we hope in, not just hoping for. The psalmist writes in Psalm 25, you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. My hope is in you. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, I hope in you all day long. Could you imagine in your life, if it could be said about you or if you knew in, within you that you could live a life that was overflowing with hope, that even in the difficulties, that there's patience and there's joy and there's confidence because of who you're hoping in. And God says that's possible. It's possible for every single one of us. Now, I want to skip kind of to the very end, and we're going to come back to this. But uh, when you came in today, you're given a link, and inside the link, there's a little handout that looks like this. It's a little card, and it's got three verses on it out of Psalm 33, verses 20 through 22. And the reason that we have this card, and it's done real nice and, and artistically and decorative, and you can actually get more of these if you want at the, at the um, out 
somewhere out there afterwards. Uh, you can get, get one of these if you want one for your car, if you want one for your desk, if you want one for your nightstand. But these three verses, we're going to come back to again and again and again over these next six weeks. And one of my challenges for you today, as you walk out of here, is that you will commit to memorizing these three verses. I mean, there's three verses. We're in this series for six weeks. It's a half a verse a week. You can do this, okay? I'm just telling you, I believe in you. I have a hope. <laughs> Let me just look at, read these. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. All right, now what I want us to do in the remainder of our time is I want us to take a look at the psalm that this comes out of, kind of summarize it, break it down, and then circle back around and put it all together again. So if you want to follow along, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Psalm 33, uh, kind of in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 33. And, you know, sometimes uh, we think, you know, the Psalms, they're so uplifting and they're so comforting and they're so filled with joy and such. And some of them really are. I mean, they really, really are. The most common type of psalm in all the book of psalms are psalms of lament. There's people pouring out their hearts of, of hopes that were not fulfilled, things that they were hoping for they didn't get. But what's interesting about the psalmist is that even when he pours out and just honest, just, just kind of pours it out there in the psalms, he always comes back to what he's hoping in, even though what he's hoping for may not have been fulfilled. And we think, well, of course, you know, it's easy. It's David. It's the psalmist. It's Israel. It's all good. They're God's chosen people. They're in the promised land, milk and honey, the whole thing. Well, it wasn't always so easy and always so good. Their life wasn't always just wonderful. I mean, you think about it. They were dealing with, with droughts at times and famines and pestilence. And not only that, that's just with their crops. They're, they're always dealing with marauding armies from surrounding nations, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites. Parasites, websites, they're all hitting them, and it's just a mess. And in the midst of that, they talk about the reality of life that's not easy. So in Psalm 33, and this is an interesting thing about Psalm 33, we don't know who wrote Psalm 33. In your Bibles, a lot of times they'll say a Psalm of David or Psalm of Asaph, and a Psalm in this situation. Psalm 33 has no explanation about it. In fact, some even think it may have come as late as the, uh, the period of the Maccabees, which would have been years later. We don't know. Psalm 33, the psalmist starts off, and he basically says, from the very beginning, you worship God. I mean, sing to him, and sing and rejoice and praise him, and sing with a loud voice and with skilled instruments. He's just saying, hey, you need to worship God. He falls out just straight out of the gate. You need to worship God. And we're going to, again, talk about this later in the series, week four, I think, of the importance of this. And he says, worship God, in essence, not only when things are going good, but even when, and maybe especially when, hope is low in your life. Because what it will do is will help fill that hope bucket back up and keep your focus on what is true. You see, that's why we sing and worship every single week here in this setting. That's why on Wednesday night we will gather to have an extended time of worship and to pause and to, to remember uh, 
what Christ has done for us in communion, and we will worship. So in this, he just starts off saying, praise God with joy and singing and a loud voice and shouting and skilled musicians and instruments. And then he gives us the why behind it. Verse 4, he says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. And we've already seen that that circumstances in life, situations in life can scream to you, it's hopeless, you're a failure, there's no hope for the future. There are Eeyores in life that say, you know, give up, don't hope, don't get your hopes up, don't disappoint yourself. And sometimes even our own voice in our own head is saying, it's hopeless, give up. In those situations, we need the truth. We need to hear the other voice. We need to hear the other message. And the word of God is true and it's right. Again, a little side note, this is why we want you to reflect on scripture every day. This is why we encourage you to memorize scripture. This is why we want you to be a part of this gathering so we can collectively look into God's word and the truth there. This is why we want you in small communities so you can study God's word because we need a steady infusion of that which is true and right in our life. And on top of all that, it says that God is faithful in all that he does. Like you never have to wonder you can count on him. He's trustworthy. He says, that's, that's why we worship him. That's why we praise him. And then he turns and he, and he begins to talk about the greatness of God and how God is the creator and he's all powerful and he's sovereign and, and he reigns over all things. Verse six says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. This is going back to creation. This whole concept of ex nihilo that out of nothing, God makes something. He doesn't even start with raw materials. He just speaks it into existence. And if God can do that with the cosmos, I mean, just think about what he could do in your life. If he has that kind of power, that he just breathes stars in existence, stars that will never reach, stars that are filled with so much energy, so much brilliance, so much beauty, so, so distant, so magnificent, the cosmos, and he just speaks it into existence. That's our creator, God. And he goes on, and he talks about how he, he holds the waters of the oceans and the seas in like a mason jar. He puts them in a jar, and he just kind of keeps them there. He can, he can handle all of that. And he goes beyond that, and he just talks about the sovereignty of God. How all the plans that people have and what nations try to do, it doesn't upset what God's all about. He has his plans and his purposes. They'll never be thwarted. No one can throw off the plans of God. God's sovereign. He's in control. And he just paints this picture that we need to keep reminding ourselves of. That God's big enough. He's created all things. He has all power. That hasn't changed. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's got all this in the universe and in all of eternity. Then he says, with this transcendent view of God, he narrows it in and focuses in on those people who understand this, who worship this God, who revere him. The biblical word is fear in a, in a very holy way. Verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. He says, when you begin to understand that this all-powerful, altogether good God, this transcendent God who's sovereign and in control, the creator of all things, is infinitely aware of your circumstance and situation. And he's deeply concerned 
and he's completely committed, he's absolutely able, and he is faithful to the core. And he has this unfailing love for you. So I think what the psalmist is saying is, fix your eyes on who God is, and you will discover that that God has his eyes fixed on you. And when you begin to understand that, when that truth grips you and owns you, then you can have hope no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation. And with that truth, that God's unfailing love is with us, that God is infinitely aware, his eyes are on us, he knows, and he can do all things, then we can overflow with hope. And with that, there's a hopeful patience. I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm hoping for something or there are situations in my life and it's not coming about in my timing and I get a little bit impatient. Any of you ever experienced any of that? <laughs> kind of feel like, man, I wish God's time, I wish he would check in with me on this. But maybe, maybe when we understand who God is, then we can have a hope-filled patience. Because verse 20 says, we wait in hope, not for hope, we wait in hope for the Lord he is our help and our shield. We're not sitting around saying, oh, I need hope, I need hope. I need... We wait in hope. We have hope. We have a certainty about our God and who we hope in. And we trust him. We have this hope. Have you ever thought, man, God is sure patient with me? If you haven't, you need to. Because he is. He is slow to anger. Abounding in grace and mercy. This is our God. He's so patient with me. I mean, how many times he's forgiven me for the same stupid thing I've done over and over again? How many times he's withheld his judgment? How many times he's extended grace? How many times he's shown mercy? How many times he said, hey, listen, just keep in step with my spirit. I'll give you the strength and the power. God is so patient with me, knowing that someday I'll probably get this figured out eventually. He just continues to wait and be patient with me. And I wonder if there's times when he says, can you just be a little patient with me? Not because I'm trying to get it figured out. Not because this is so difficult for me. Not because I'm not really sure what to do. But because I know exactly what I'm doing. And maybe the reason I'm not doing this according to your timeline is I don't want you to be some spoiled, enabled brat. And there's some character development that I'm bringing about in you. And I'm orchestrating some things that will be a glory far beyond what you can even imagine. Could you just have a little patience? Could you trust me in this? We wait in hope for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. He, he helps us. He, he provides for us. He's our shield. He protects us. You know, when we're, on, when we're going on the offense, he says, I'll give you the strength. When we're on the defense, he said, I'll, I'll keep this stuff back. And with that, we can have a hopeful patience. Not only that, but we can have a hopeful joy. Not, not in the garbage of life, not in the difficulties of life, not in the disasters and the, and the losses of life and the disappointments. It says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He's our help and our strength. In him, our hearts rejoice. It's not in our circumstances. It's in him, this great God, 
that we worship, that he says, keep your eyes fixed on him. And in him, you can rejoice no matter what you're going through because he doesn't change. Some of you are familiar with this story. It happens, you read it in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas, they're going around doing the work of God and everything you'd think, oh, must be perfect to be right in the middle of the will of God. It's not. They get arrested. They get beaten. They get whipped. They get flogged. They get thrown into prison, not only into prison, but they're put in stocks. They're in this uncomfortable position. Their backs are ripped to shreds. They're in the inner circle, in the inner chamber of the, of the, uh, of the prison where all the stench and all the rot drains to. It's an awful, horrible situation. They can't sleep. They're uncomfortable. They're arrested. They're in this, this horrible situation. And at midnight, they can't sleep. And so what do they do? They sing. You think, are they idiots? Feels that way. Are they going, oh, we love this? No, no, no. They're rejoicing in their Lord because he is the same. And he hasn't changed, and he is the source of their hope. It's interesting. That jail was in a little town called Philippi. Years later, Paul would write a letter to that church. And maybe it's that remembrance of that night in jail when he writes these words, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't catch that, again I tell you, rejoice. As we will discover, we can have joy and rejoice not in our circumstances, not in our situations, but in the source of our hope. And there's a hopeful confidence that comes with all of this as well. This assurance, God's still in control. He's our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. We trust in his name. We don't trust in our abilities. We don't trust in humanity's abilities. We, we don't trust in these to get us. We trust in something greater, something that, is, that, will, that will never change or fade away. We trust in his holy name. And then in verse 22, he ends up, he says, may your unfailing love, he's already talked about those who trust in his unfailing love, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You see this, this picture of a life that's just overflowing with hope, regardless of what we're facing. Hope that is, that is confident and filled with joy and even patient. Now, let's put it all together, and I've kind of highlighted one word for you. It says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. See, I want you to memorize this, not just for the sake of, okay, check that off the list, but I want this to be the truth because this three verses, it's a declaration of truth that we need to be reminded of. It's a commitment of how we're going to live, and it's a prayer that God is answering constantly. And when we have that as a part of us, we can live with this truth, this declaration. This is right. This is true. This is the word of God. Here's how I'm going to live. And God, this is what I'm going to live in your unfailing love. I'm going to continue to hope for things, but regardless of what happens with that, the source of my hope is in you. The one we hope in is the one that we live in, so live in hope. 
Live in this hope. First Peter says we've been given new birth into a living hope, something that's reality for us every single day. This living hope. The final verse I want, I want to share with you, last verse, last verse. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. See, this key, not just uncertainty and not just hoping for, but who we hope in is the key to a life that is overflowing with hope, a patient hope, a joy-filled hope, a confident hope, a hope as the anchor for our soul. Here's your two challenges for this week. One is to start memorizing these words. Start memorizing. Three verses. Some of you will have it all done by this afternoon. That's fine. At least try working on a half verse. You can do this. Start memorizing this. And the second thing is start shifting your understanding when you hear the word hope, when you use the word hope, that it's not a word of uncertainty when you're talking about biblical hope. And it's not merely on the surface of what we're hoping for. It's who we're hoping in. Now, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing about this. And after that, I'll close this in prayer.